You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. Well, gay and bisexual men in monogamous relationships will no longer be forced to abstain from sex to donate blood under new guidance that the FDA has proposed. The agency's proposal to ease restrictions was announced late last month and comes after decades of protests from the LGBT community and its advocates. It also comes as the nation's blood supply is severely depleted. Joining us now to talk about this again is Dr. Benjamin Grin. He's an assistant professor at Kansas City University and chief medical officer for the Kansas City, Missouri Health Department. Ben, welcome back to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. Well, the FDA FDA has proposed eliminating restrictions on blood donations for men who have sex with men and their partners. It instead recommends screening eligibility based on individual risk. How significant a breakthrough is this in your view? I think this is a really good thing. I think what this does is gets the the FDA's policy in line with science. And I think really yeah. it was out of line with science for a long time. For a long time. And it's been a source of in- intense frustration for a lot of gay folks for, for years now. Absolutely. And I think a lot of LGBTQ advocacy groups were appropriately frustrated with the policy. You know, in the, under the old policy, a gay man who had been in a monogamous relationship for 20 years um, couldn't donate blood if they'd been sexually active in the last three months, whereas a straight guy who's had 20 partners in the last month, for example, um, they would be eligible to donate. And that really didn't align with the science about the risk of contracting HIV. What was holding back the FDA from making these changes? I can begin to guess, but what's your sense? You know, I I don't know exactly either, but I think that stigma can stigma. sometimes affect yeah. policy, and so some you know sometimes science doesn't drive policy in a perfect way. So, what do these new rules say exactly, Ben? Where are we going here? So, what the new policy is is instead of making decisions about um, whether someone is eligible to donate blood based on identity, based on whether they're a man who has sex with men, basically they're going to ask everyone, whether you're you know, a male, a female, cisgender, transgender, gay, or straight, about certain risk factors um, and behaviors they've engaged in over the last three months. And based on that, they will make a decision about whether you are at higher risk for contracting HIV and whether you're eligible to donate blood. But those standards are still different than you might find among straight people? The standards are the same. So to to be more specific about what they're going to ask, they're going to ask everyone if they've had either a new partner or multiple partners over the last three months. For folks who answer yes to that question, they will ask if they've had anal sex in the last three months. And if you answer yes to both of those questions, you won't be eligible to donate. Hmm. What is it about this moment in time that has the FDA easing restrictions now, Ben? What's happening out there? 
you know, I think part of it may be the advocacy, of course, from from groups, which has been going on for a long time. You know, the I, I read the FDA's new guidelines, which are draft recommendations, right? So there's a 60 day period where they're obtaining public comment and then they'll release final recommendations. Um, but they say that they are that the science is driving this. They looked at at guidelines from other countries like Canada, Australia, the UK. They had already made shifts to policies like what they're proposing, and they also have scientific evidence that shows it doesn't increase the risk of trans transfusion-associated HIV or other infectious diseases. So just to be crystal then, these final rules are not yet out yet? That's right. There's a, So these this was released, I think, on January 27th, and there's a 60-day public comment period. And at the end of that public comment period, they say that they'll release the final recommendations. I also mentioned in the opening, as I introduced you here, that the nation's blood supply is severely depleted right now. It has been for a little while. Is that a factor in all this, do you think? It wasn't mentioned in the FDA comments, um, but I, you know, I think that the the FDA Hospitals is and blood banks are screaming bounce. for blood. They're screaming for donations. Right. I, I mean, we need to have an adequate blood supply, and I think they're always trying to balance. You know, what is that very low risk of a transfusion associated infectious disease with the benefit of maintaining an adequate blood supply for the population? We'll be right back. What's the history of gay and bisexual men being banned from donating blood in this country? It's, you know, it's an interesting history. And I think um, one thing that's important to, re- to remember is that a lot has changed since the 1980s. So right early in the 1980s, the HIV epidemic started. Um, it, early in the epidemic, there was a pretty high risk of transfusion-associated HIV because at that point in 1983, we didn't have a test for HIV. At a certain point, we didn't even know what was causing AIDS. Um, and so at that point, there was a risk of about 1 in 2,500 of contracting HIV through a blood donation. In 1985, because of that issue, and you know, at that point, we had developed a test for HIV, but the tests for the blood were not as good as the tests that are available today. The FDA enacted a lifetime ban on gay and bisexual men donating blood. Maybe appropriate at the time, given the risks and given the consequences of a transfusion-associated reaction, um, of, of a transfusion-associated infection, excuse me. Um, that policy persisted until 2015. And in 2015, the agency dropped that lifetime ban, and they instead made a policy where they required men who have sex with men to abstain from sex for a year before donating blood. Still a very challenging policy because mm-hmm. most gay and bisexual men are not completely abstinent. In 2020, they again changed that policy to make the waiting period three months. But again, same issue. You know, if you're in a monogamous relationship, they're saying you still can't donate blood right. if, if you've had sex in the last three months. Now, while this is seen as a step in the right direction when it comes to equality, there's still some advocates out there saying this proposed guidance doesn't still go far enough. What are the critics talking about here? Uh, what, what, what do you what do you pick up? One of the criticisms, something we haven't discussed, is related to a medication called HIV prep. Um, so HIV prep is a medication that folks can take once a day in order to pre- and to prevent HIV infection, and it's about ninety nine percent effective in preventing contraction of HIV. As part of the new guidelines, people who are taking PrEP are not eligible to donate blood. And I think that's confusing to a lot of folks. And I I have some questions about it as well, because really, the medication is highly effective at preventing HIV. The FDA's reasoning behind why that is part of this policy, at least in the draft recommendations, is that 
um, PrEP actually does reduce the chance of detecting HIV in the blood. And so, you know, if let's say someone had an early HIV infection that wasn't detected on a blood test and they started taking PrEP or, for example, they were taking their PrEP inconsistently and they contracted HIV, they donate blood. The blood because they were on prep, the blood test may be less likely to pick up HIV in the blood than mm. if they weren't on prep. So that's the FDA's reasoning behind it. Um, but I agree with the advocates that there are some challenges to this, and I also worry about the messaging. I wouldn't want folks to think that they should go off their prep so that they can donate blood because it's a highly effective medication. Hmm. What's been the response from the gay community just in general at, at these new guidelines? Um, you know, I think that there is in general support and I think that folks are happy that, you know, happy about the change in the guidelines that at least folks who are monogamous and in a monogamous relationship, um, you know, now are able to donate blood. I think that there are some folks who are still unhappy with the policy, as you mentioned, um, in particular, because the type of sexual behavior that they are restricting folks from engaging is one that folks in the gay community are more likely to engage in. And so that is still a challenge. You know, I would like to see more data on what would be the risk of further loosening these restrictions because blood tests that the you know blood tests that are done to prevent the risk of transfusion associated HIV are very sensitive and um, so you know I'm I'm hoping that in the future there's a possibility that they could lift all of these restrictions and that the tests that the you know the tests that blood banks do to look for HIV in the blood through screening could be enough I guess the FDA is saying that at that point at, at this point there that isn't enough and the main challenge that they point to is what's called the window period. So there is this short period after someone contracts HIV, about one to two weeks, where blood tests may not be sensitive uh. to pick up that early infection. And so basically what the FDA is saying that they is that they need these extra protections to reduce that already very low risk of a transfusion-associated infection. That's Dr. Ben Grin. Again, he's an assistant professor at Kansas City University, chief medical officer for the Kansas City, Missouri Health Department. Ben, it's always good to have you here. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.